Well, we are at the end of a series. This is our last week because then the next week is Thanksgiving and we can't talk about discipline on Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> there would be something just instinctively wrong about that. So we're going to end our series this week on discipline. We're talking about discipline and our series has been called Disciplined to Devotion. And uh, we've talked about some different spiritual disciplines, ways that we engage and we grow. And um, we defined discipline as the difference between, well, someone defined it and we stole the, the definition, but the difference between what we want now and what we want most. What we want now and what we want most. And that's the challenge, that's the wrestle, that's the struggle, is that there's things I want right now, but they're not the thing I want most. And if we really sat down and really thought about it, that, um, that knowing Jesus would be the thing we want most. And to grow in that endeavor, how do we do that? And we engage with that. That's the, the wrestle of disciplines. And so we also talked about the two cliffs on either side, the two danger zones on either side of our path. And the one danger zone is that we would do it all out of our own effort. A discipline, great, I can do it. I'm going to do it all myself. And then the other side of that road is that we could fall into, you know, that idea that God does everything, and, and so we're just going to wait for him to do it all. And he's going to do it, and so I just sit here and wait, and I don't do anything. And that's also a danger zone. And in between the two is that path. We've talked about the path of disciplined grace that we're going to walk on, and we're going to navigate, and we're going to discuss and wrestle together. And so today we're talking about one of my favorite disciplines, the discipline of celebration. Whenever you say the word celebration, there should be fireworks, I think. So that's good. And I sent out an email this week, and the email in the weekly was, had a title on it that said something about Jesus, and it said something about alcoholic. Yes, and Bob liked it. If some of you were offended, Bob liked it. So the title was, Was Jesus an Alcoholic? And, and I did that just so that you would open the email. And so in it, then I explained I didn't, that wasn't what I believed, but that's what people said. Because when Jesus was walking around, rabbis had a certain um, reputation. And good rabbis had a certain reputation. They prayed a lot. And they fasted a lot. They went without food. And they seemed somber and kind of down in the mouth. And they mourned the absence of God which was evident because there was the Roman Empire, which was, had occupied Israel. And so how could God, you know, be present in this? God was absent, and so everyone was mourning and down in the mouth, and that's kind of what rabbis should be like. And so when Jesus comes along, he's different. And so then there's kind of these rumors, these questions, you know, is he an alcoholic? Is he a gluttonous foodie? What's, what's the deal with Jesus? We don't know about him because, you know, this is what people said about him behind his back. If Google reviews were around, Jesus would get some fives, and he would get some ones. And the ones, the comment would be, and the quote is, that he is a glutton and a drunkard. Those were the words they used about Jesus. Why did they say this about Jesus? Jesus, flannel graph Jesus, he would never be like this. No one would ever say that about Jesus, but they did. And why? Because Jesus partied a lot. Way more than the religious com people were comfortable with. They just weren't comfortable with how much Jesus 
partied, and he went out, and he was with people, and he just seemed to celebrate all the time. He was laughing too much and joking too much, and his disciples were, were told they needed to be more somber and serious. But Jesus wasn't just like a radical rabbi trying to start a new school of thought that would, you know, rival some other rabbis and their schools of thought and this other rabbi and his school of thought. And Jesus wasn't just a good teacher who had a soft spot for heady wine and good beer. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. So this is what God is like. He likes to celebrate. Our verse this morning that will spring from as we talk about celebration is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says this amazingly easy thing to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. In case we weren't sure if he really meant it. He says it again. Or he says it in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. This picture of rejoicing always. And as we, we talk about celebration, the picture is that the Christian life is meant to be steeped in joy and celebration. The Christian life is meant to be steeped in joy and celebration. And that's what church should look like all the time. So we're going to buy a bunch of crackers. No, I'm just kidding. And as we've talked about our, our disciplines, we've talked about these questions. Why do we do it? We've talked about how do we learn to do it? And then also, how does that lead us to devotion? Because all those things are important questions. And so as we look at celebration, the question comes, why do we celebrate? Why do we celebrate? And I feel like when I read Paul's writing here, when he says rejoice always, it feels like he's a little bit out of touch. I don't know about how you feel, but when I read it, I feel like he's a little bit out of touch. Out of touch with my life or maybe your life. It, clearly he doesn't wake up to kids bickering over making lunches or them making annoying noises and yelling at each other, or getting off to school late, or having flat tires, or a bad sleep, or body pain, or burnt toast, or argument, an argumentative spouse. I don't have that, but some people might. And job loss, or devastating disease diagnosis, or overdue credit card bills, or failed exams, or anxiety, or loneliness, or suffering, or whatever else you might be dealing with. Does Paul know about all that when he says this? Why do we celebrate? Firstly, we celebrate because we're saved. That's a good reason. And it's given over and over and over. There's this story in the Bible, and it takes place pretty early on, and it's referenced over and over and over again. So we know it's an important story because different people keep talking about it. Psalmists write about it. When people preach, they talk about it. And it's the story of the Israelites in Egypt. They're slaves. And then God raises up Moses. And you've got to read this story if you've never read it. It's, there's a burning bush, and there's a, God's calling out of the burning bush. And then there's, there's plagues, and there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, says God. And Pharaoh says, no. And then he says, maybe, and then no, and maybe. And there's all this stuff that happens. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. And finally, after it goes back and forth and back and forth, Pharaoh finally says, okay, the, you can take the people. And so Moses leads the people out. 
and they're so happy, and all the animals and everyone else and the children, that's what children sound like, and they all come out, and they're, they're leaving, and they, God leads them to the edge of the Red Sea, and they're, they're there, and they're like so excited, God rescued us and saved us, and they're feeling pretty happy about it, except for they had to walk, and that's kind of hard always, and then suddenly the Pharaoh changes his mind, and he gets his army together with one of the greatest armies, military forces of the day, and he gets his army, and he rides down after the Israelites, and he's going to bring them back or kill them, one or the other. And as the people of Israel get to the Red Sea, they stop, bump, 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 bump. That's always my pictures. They're in a straight line, and it's like bump, bump, everyone bumps, and the last person's like, why are we stopped? Why are we stopped? Why are we stopped? And they've got to go down the line. And, the, and so the last person's waiting for the answer to come back. Oh, we hit the Red Sea. We can't. We've got to stop. And as he looks back, I picture is one last guy at the end of the line. He looks back and suddenly he sees the ar- armies of Egypt. He's like, come on, guys, come on, guys, come on, guys. Okay, we got to go, we got to go. And it's like goes back down the line. We got to go. And Moses is at the front of the line like, what, what? There's a, it's like, could be a skit, right? The armies of Egypt are riding them down. And the, the cloud of God comes down on the people. And they're, cut, they're riding around in circles. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then suddenly, the Red Sea parts. Moses. Steps out, puts his staff out, and the people go through on dry land, through the Red Sea. Dry land. And as the last guy's going, he's like partway through, suddenly the cloud lifts and the army starts riding in, and he's like, go, 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 come on. You picture the long line, right? Pushing, pushing, okay? And then they come down, and it's like, and then suddenly as the armies of Egypt get into the dry land, suddenly they're, they're, Chariot wheels don't work very well, and they're stuck in the mud, and it's slow, and, but they keep going because they're determined, and they all get in there, and then the last of them get out, and the waters cover them, and the people of Israel are saved, rescued. What's the first thing they do? do you, if you've ever read this story, you should know this part. This is the best part. They start a dance party on the beach, just like that someone start beatboxing and this is what the song they sing it and they're da- they're dancing that's in there the beatbox part wasn't but exodus 15 verse 1 and 2 this is what the song is that they sing we need to write more songs like this i will sing to the lord for he has triumphed gloriously now if you've been around church for a long time you'll know long long ago there was a song that we used to sing. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. We don't sing that song anymore. <laughs> the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my God, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. This is what people do when they are saved. They start a dance party. And they make up songs that have weird lyrics. But they don't care because they are so overjoyed at being saved. Do you know that when God saves you, you feel like celebrating? And if you're a Christian, and if you understand what that means, then you have experienced this at some point. Maybe not today, but at some point. That we were mired, we were stuck, we were trapped in a dead end, like between the rock and the hard place, and then Jesus came, and he gave himself all love in our place to pay our debt, to set us free. 
And that's why we celebrate. That's why we celebrate communion every week. It's a celebration, although we don't do the, you know, boombox as we go. But it is a celebration. It's to remember that Jesus saved us. We didn't save ourselves. Jesus saved us. That's why the psalmists and writers in the Bible keep talking about this idea. Psalm 13, verse 5, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 35, 9, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Or Jesus saying to the disciples who come back from, you know, casting out demons and healing the sick, and they're so pumped and excited, and they get there, and Jesus says to them, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, in your salvation, that I save you. That's something we rejoice over. Another thing we rejoice about, or we celebrate, why we celebrate, is because we are filled. That Jesus, this is one of my favorite things. I have a lot of favorite things about the Bible, but this is one of them. That Jesus was walking around, and he rose from the dead, and he was walking around, and then Jesus said, I'm going to leave. And everyone said, why would you leave? And Jesus says, it's better that I go. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. Physical Jesus, what's better than, if Jesus were here, what's better? Jesus says, I have something better. My spirit to live in you and fill you and transform you, that's better. When the spirit of God comes and fills us, we feel like celebrating. We used to have, we have what's called, in Alpha, we have a Holy Spirit weekend. And so we'd have these weekends, and always at this one part, because we would take time and invite people who wanted to be filled with the Spirit to, to ask God to fill them. And I'd always feel a bit nervous, because it's not something I could plan for, or I could, you know, work it out ahead of time and make sure it's going to go well. It's like we're asking God to fill people. So I can't do that. He's got to do that. And every time I'd feel a little nervous, like, is he going to do that? I know he promised to do that, and I know people were asking, but is it going to happen? And People were filled with the Spirit who asked. Some people laughed, and some people cried, and some people talked a lot incessantly. They're like, oh, I can't believe this. This is so amazing. I can't, even, I, I can't even believe what's happening. And they were changed and experienced God. We aren't alone. This is worth celebrating. Romans fifteen thirteen says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. As we're filled with the Spirit, we're filled with hope and joy and peace. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit at work in us. And we celebrate because we have a mission. We have a mission. We're not just here kind of walking around being like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, you could just rapture me up right now. I'd I'd be good with that. We're on a mission. There's a reason why we're here. And when Jesus came, he, the very first thing he said is he got out, started his public ministry. In the synagogue, he got on and he read the Declaration of Jubilee from Isaiah. This idea that that Jesus was here to proclaim good news to the poor and liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind and liberty for the oppressed and proclamation of God's favor. Grace over us. Do you know, do you know where the word jubilation comes from? This, this idea, jubilee, it's like, yes! That's a celebration. Like, we get to be part of this? God says, yeah, no, it's not just me. It's you too. You're part of it. And the stories Jesus tells about 
about finding lost things in Luke 15. He tells three stories in a row. One's about a lost sheep. One's about a lost coin. One's about a lost son. And in all three of those stories, there's something lost. And then there's something found. They find the shepherd finds the sheep. The lady finds the coin. And the son comes home and is found by his father. And in all those stories, there's something lost, something found. And then there's a celebration. All of the stories, there's a celebration. Yes, I found my sheep. Yes, I found my coin. All the neighbors, come on over. We're celebrating. I'm spending all my coins because I found my coin. It's like, okay, cool. And then the father, he's throwing this big barbecue party. Invite everyone we know. My son was lost, and now he's found. As we participate in the mission of Jesus, in the mission of God, we should experience celebration. Hopefully, we're seeing people who are lost come into the kingdom. People who didn't know this good news experience the good news. And as that happens, there is joy. There's joy. We experience joy. Oh, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. It's awesome. Paul says in Philippians 1.8, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It's beautiful. When you live on the mission of Jesus, you feel like celebrating. Secondly, we learn. I have lots of lists in this sermon. I'm just going to say that. So uh, there's like first, second, third, and then there's like first, first, second, 1A, 1B. So don't get confused. Lots of things, though, we could talk about. So as we learn to celebrate, like, what does that mean? If celebration is a discipline, and I think Sean was praying about it this morning, it's like, celebration is a discipline. Isn't that kind of weird? People are like, celebration's not a discipline. That's, like, easy. People just celebrate. Like, no, no, it's a discipline for a reason. And there's reasons why it's a discipline. One reason is that in the church, we're really bad at celebrating. We're really, we're awful. Our parties are lame. Like, to be honest, our fun is very muted. Our gatherings are very somber. Often we live this kind of joyless Christianity. Or the other part of that is that we struggle. Christians struggle too. And we experience struggle and challenge and difficulty. We're in pain or we're in despair or we live in fear or there's anxiety or we're sad. And we don't feel like celebrating. Some of you today are like, yeah, celebrating. Cool. Good one. Way to pick today. And that's how you feel. We're waiting for, like, the happy gas to fall or to start, right? You're like, maybe that's what will happen, and then I'll feel like celebrating. What is celebration? Celebration is, like, this act of returning to joy, I think. I think we could define it like that. Celebration is, an a- is the act of returning to joy, so it's not that we just live in joy all the time. We just feel this all. I still feel so happy all the time. It's that we're returning there. And it's the act of returning there. So there's a few things celebration is not. Celebration is not just happiness. We talk about happiness. And uh, there's a website called happiness.com. And if we summarized a bunch of their points on how to be happy, we'd come up with this list maybe. And the list is, number one, to be in possession of the basics Food, shelter, good health, safety. Secondly, to get enough sleep. Thirdly, to have relationships that matter to you. Fourthly, to take compassionate care of others and of yourself. And number five, have work or an interest that engages you. And we, we like nail this list down. If we have all these things, we will be happy. And that's kind of the idea. The problem is if you go around the world, you'll realize that most people in the world can't have all these things. <laughs> 
It's just, it's not going to happen for everybody. So then we're at the mercy of our circumstances. So that's not what we're talking about when we talk about joy or celebration. It's not happiness like externally driven or circumstantial. Like if all of my circumstances line up, then I'll experience joy or then I'll be happy. That's not what we're talking about. And celebration is not faked. And we need to say that and be really clear about it. Celebration is not a fake smile or ignoring pain or dismissing suffering or feigning we live in a utopia. Oh, you're a Christian. Yes, I'm so happy about everything because I live in utopia. That's not, that's not real. Or even just speaking positively all the time. People say, don't say anything negative, nothing negative. It's like, well, that's not real either. Because we go through difficult things that we need to talk about. And we don't make light of evil or dismiss those things without engaging with it and understanding what's happening. I think of this, the picture is joy from Pixar's Inside Out. And if you've watched this animated movie, then you'll know the stories about um, if our emotions were personified and they ran everything in our brain, that's the movie. And so these emotions sit in the brain and there's joy and there's sadness and there's anger and there's um, fear and disgust. Yeah, such a funny story. And in this movie, joy is there and joy keeps trying to keep sadness from touching any memories. Just keep her away. Just keep sadness over there. And if we just keep, I'll just keep making the memories happy memories, happy memories, happy memories. We'll just keep it like this. And over the course of the story, Joy realizes that that's not real. You can't, you can't put sadness somewhere else. There are things that we need to feel as sad and engage and walk through, and then we come to joy. So it's not that, you know, sadness is over in the corner and we never engage it. That's not what we're talking about either. Celebration, though, is an act of the will. And Brian talked about this this morning. Celebration is a choice. And the psalmist speak of this. Speak of talking to your soul, to the part of you that needs to be, that needs a reckoning. And the psalmist write a few different times. It, like an example is Psalm 42, verse 5. says The psalmist says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There's this picture of like, we talk to ourself. We say, self, come on. Hey, soul, get in line. Hope in the Lord. No, I feel so down. I feel so down. Hope in the Lord. I will again praise him. My hope is in the Lord. The joy of my salvation. So as we learn to celebrate, there's some ways we can practice it. And so I thought of just a few examples. There's probably lots you could think of too. One of them is that we practice joy in the everyday. This is not like just mountaintop moments. This is like joy in the everyday. And I learned this from my children. I have five children. And those children teach me about celebration because kids move very quickly into celebration. Way faster than adults. So Kids, they can be sad one minute, and the next minute, they're totally celebrating. And one of the things, one, one of our best celebrators in our house is Gabe. And Gabe, he'd have this laugh where he'd just, <laughs> he'd just start laughing out loud. And you'd just be like, whoa, what is, what's going on? And it's kind of was contagious as he laughs. Another thing he would do is he, he would just hear something, and then he would just, 
I had a, one of his Sunday school teachers at our other church would, came to me and said, I was talking about this story about what God had done, and I got near the end of the story, and Gabe just started clapping. And it was a powerful moment in the class. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's Gabe. Yeah, he, he, if he loves it, he's going to clap. He's going he's gonna to show it. And you know what? At our house, it's funny. We have this thing around the table. Kids, they love to celebrate. And so we'll all sit down and dinner. It'll be like, oh, mom made this special food. And then someone will be like, three cheers for mom. Yeah, okay. Hip, hip, hooray. Hip, hip, hooray. Hip, hip, hooray. And then it's like, well, we can't let it stop there. Three cheers for dad. He did the pre-dishes. Yeah, hip, hip, hooray. Hip, hip, hooray. And then it's like, three cheers for Maddie. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, hip, hip, hooray. And they go, they go around the table. Everyone, and they all are waiting. Oh, it's going to be my turn soon for my hip, hip, hoorays. And then, like, we're cheering that. And then we get to the end, and it's like, okay, guys, that was fun. And they're like, okay, now three cheers for mom again. Hip, hip, And you're like, stop, okay, stop. There's too much celebration. But, but they're finding things in the everyday that we celebrate. We're like, we're, we're in joy. This is awesome. And it's a spiritual act to learn to celebrate. We celebrate family events. We choose to do this. We don't have to do this. We celebrate the end of swimming. Swimming, you guys get your swimming? Yes, you finished your swim lessons. Awesome. Okay, we're going to go to Subway. This was like a thing we did once. Now it's like scary at the end of swim lessons. We're like, okay, let's get the coupons together. We're going to Subway. Wow, okay. Take out a loan for my five kids. Okay, we go to Subway. We're like, we're going to celebrate. Did they all pass their swim lessons? No, we don't care. Like, you did swim lessons. That's like a, that's worth celebrating. Or you got a report card. Yes, you worked hard. Let's celebrate. Let's go get ice cream. Like, whatever reason to get ice cream, right? We're laughing. Skits. We do, like, at our, growing up, it was like, mom would be like, you guys go work on a skit and be funny. We'd go off and be like, okay, let's do something silly. Okay. Laughter, comedy, or jokes or funny stories, or we poke fun at ourselves. Like, this is part of this, this life of celebration and joy. We have the creative arts. So we're creating things. We're celebrating the wonder of God. This is part of our celebration, the imagination, and the gifts God's given people. We celebrate cultural holidays. So, like, you know, these groups that are like, oh, we, we don't celebrate Christmas. We don't celebrate Easter. We don't celebrate this. We don't celebrate that. And we're like, well, you should celebrate something, because, like, why not? Let's take these things and make it a celebration. If you don't like what they're selling, let's make it about something else and celebrate. Another way we practice joy is in hope. And that might sound weird, but um, I went to the Whitecaps game last week on Sunday, speaking of having no hope. And... Um, Andrew and I went, and we got a generous benefactor, gave us tickets, and we, I was so excited because of all the different teams you could go see, the BC Lions or the Canucks, soccer is my favorite, so the Whitecaps, that's, like, really special. So I was really excited, and we sat down in our seats, and next to so Andrew was next to me, and then there was this little girl sitting next to me, and then next to her was her dad, and the rest of their family kind of went off there, I guess. And I was so excited about the Whitecaps, and this was, like, a really important game, you know, a must-win for the get-to-the-playoffs, hopefully. And this guy, as soon as the game started, he was so negative. I didn't know you could clap sarcastically. Great job, guys. Great job. He, and he heckled them. Like, I was like, are you a Whitecaps fan or not? 
he like it seemed like he loved them, but he was just so hurt or so down, and he just he was so negative. He started booing partway through the the thing, like he's booing our team. I was like, I came to like encourage them. I thought we would be cheering for our team, like they're not that bad. And then you know what happened? They scored, and we all jumped out of our yeah yeah they scored yes. And I looked over, so I was like, what's he doing? He's on his feet. Yeah yeah yeah. Okay, okay, you know, like, there's something about hope when they scored, suddenly it was like, oh, they could win, they, we could do, okay, we didn't win, just to spoil that, but you know what, hope is a thing, it gives us life, right, like, as Christians, we're not meant to go through life with, in like, with that kind of attitude, if that's you, stop it, you're being a butt, seriously, like, sarcastic Sally or downer Dan or what, whatever you, you like practice living in hope. We, cho- we bring ourselves back and we, we focus on hope. We don't live in the like, boo, oh yeah, you won't do it. Like, don't live like that. That's not how we're called to live. Romans 5, 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is our life. And if it's hard, write it down and put it everywhere in your house or where you're going to see it and read it over and over till it begins to sink into your soul. We also practice joy in obedience. This is everyone's favorite one. First Chronicles 29, the people rejoiced because they'd given willingly for with a whole heart they'd offered freely to the Lord. There's this picture of as you come, as you obey as the people brought their sacrifices, they did what God required of them, as they obeyed him as best as they could, there was a joy that came. There was a joy that came. And some of you will find a fount of joy when you start obeying. When you obey. Stop looking at porn and open your Bible. Stop gossiping unforgiveness and start speaking life. Stop entertaining despair and learn to pray. Apply yourself to learn to pray. Stop hoarding and give. And watch the joy come. Celebration is a discipline. And as a discipline, it's meant to lead us to devotion. So the question comes, how does celebration lead us to devotion? How does it drive me into more relationship with Jesus? That would be the question. And I think it does that a number of different ways. One way is that celebration fixes our gaze on Jesus. How do we rejoice in challenging circumstances when things are hard? That's the question. There's a story of a a man who went to a Little League baseball game, and he walked by, and he wasn't sure what was happening. And so he leaned over to the dugout, and there was a little boy there, and he said, Hey, you know, what's the score? And the boy said, It's 18 to nothing for the other team. We're behind. And the man said, wow, ooh, that's 18 nothing. Wow, that's really discouraging. How do you, how are you so happy? And the boy said, well, I'm not discouraged. We haven't even gone up to bat yet. <laughs> that's perspective for you. <laughs> Psalm 31.7 says, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and you know the distress of my soul. That's not God being like, just buck up. Just be happy. That's like, 
I rejoice in his love because I know that he's with me in my pain. I know that he's with me in my suffering. And when I fix my gaze on him, suddenly it all seems different. Rejoicing in our circumstances forces us to fix our gaze on Jesus, not on our circumstance. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Where are we getting our strength from? From the joy of the Lord. So are you manufacturing that yourself? I'm not. So how do we get it? We go to Jesus. We're driven back to Jesus to get the joy we're looking for that we need in our life. And another way it leads us there is that there's more joy in joy, which is a funny thing to say. There's more joy in celebration. It's like joy begets joy. Um, we, <laughs> we used to watch this show called Wipeout. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. I don't even know if it's still on anymore, but we used to watch it, Lauren and I, when the kids would go to bed. And um, I considered it like pastor therapy a little bit. If you've never seen the show, it's like non-athletic people, mostly, doing this, uh, this obstacle course. Like, uh, you've got to jump on these bouncing balls and these big things, and these things are swinging to hit you off. And so you, people are flying off and falling into the foamy water. And there's just something about a pastor that needs to see that happening. (laughs) It's probably not healthy, but it was funny. And when I first started watching this show, I thought, this is a a stupid show. Like, who would watch this show? It's just ridiculous. (laughs) And then I'd start laughing. And then I would laugh harder, and then Lauren would start laughing, and she would come on. And and I'd laugh till my sides hurt, till I was, like, crying. And then once someone's laughing and then someone else is laughing harder, have you ever had that? Like, La- you know, it's, it's contagious, right? Laughter is contagious. When you hear someone laughing and then you're like, that person's got such a funny laugh, and then you start laughing and someone starts laughing at you, and that laughter is, it's happening, right? That's why comedians have that, the pre-show, you know, that's someone who goes on, what's it called? The opening act. Someone gets up there and they're supposed to soften up the crowd. They get people laughing, so then when the headliner comes out, everyone's in a laughy mood and things are funnier, because they've already been laughing. Because joy begets joy, and laughter begets more laughter, and that's kind of how it works. Foster, Richard Foster says this, celebration gives us strength to live in all the other disciplines. When faithfully pursued, the other disciplines bring us deliverance for years, which in turn, in turn evokes increased celebration, thus an unbroken circle of life and power is formed. As we're walking out these things, it's not a drudge because we live in celebration. We're walking in joy. And so it enables us to walk out these things that are very life-giving. And as we walk out those things that are very life-giving, we experience more joy as we see God transforming us. There's also perspective in celebration. The law called the people to celebrate. They were called feasts and festivals. And over and over and over, God says, I'm telling you to celebrate these things. Now, their celebrations were not somber. These are celebrations. So it's not like we picture like, oh, God's making you do the holy days. Be serious. It's like these are feasts. And people, the, the goal of the feast, the idea behind it, God says over and over, is to remind his people about who he is and what he's done over and over and over again. They're meant to drive our focus back to the Lord and awaken us to what he's doing. I was with a first-time mom this week, and she, um, she said this in a kind of a funny way. She was being funny, and she said, 
everyone lied to me. They didn't tell me how hard this would be. They just, they made it seem so great, and then you have a baby, and it's so hard. You don't sleep, and then, I don't know if she said blobby baby, but that's kind of what I remember in my mind. Like, you have this blobby baby, and the baby just, it's just there, and it just, like, poos and cries, and, like, it just doesn't, there's no response. And then, like, you're just like, oh, this is so hard. And we were, like, kind of laughing because it was a funny story. And then we said, oh, is it still like that? And she's like, well, no, now you know, the baby responds and laughs and coos. So it's like, oh, it's way better now. There's this picture of, like, it changes. And I was laughing inside because I was like, yeah, that's what happens, is as soon as the baby starts responding, you're like, oh, oh, there's joy. And then the baby's growing up, and they're walking, and they're taught. They say daddy and mommy. You're like, oh, let's have another baby. Yes, let's do that again. Yes. And the second baby, this is what a first-time parent won't know, is the second baby you know it's coming. So when you go through the hard part of sleepless night and blobby baby or whatever word you put on that that sounds better than that, you know there's a joy coming, the joy of the child growing and responding. Do you know Hebrews says Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. He had a perspective that looked beyond this moment to joy that was coming. And he was able to get to endure it and live through it. And celebration leads us to long for the coming of Jesus. That's what we long for. And we look at the joy set before us of being with Jesus, that, that that's our home. Hebrews 10, 34 says, You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The author's writing to people and saying, You you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property? How is that possible? Because they could look ahead at the joy set before them and say, this property, this stuff's not, this isn't my stuff. This is the temporary stuff. The real stuff's coming. And the joy set before us leads us to that. And there's, I have other things too, but faith and celebration. Lots of things we could say. Lots of ways this way of living leads us into the presence of God. Leads us to grow in who we are and in our faith. This is how we were meant to live. The Christian life is meant to be steeped in joy and celebration. That's the conclusion. I jumped. The Christian life is meant to be steeped in joy and in celebration. Why? Why? Because he saved us, and because he fills us, and because he gave us a mission, a way to live that actually brings a lot of joy to our lives. We learn, we learn in the everyday, we learn to celebrate, because it's a spiritual act to learn to celebrate life, moments, and people, to practice hope, and to find joy in obedience. And we're led. We're led to devotion. Celebration leads us to devotion because it fixes our gaze on Jesus and it reminds us of what's true. That maybe what we're dealing with right now isn't the end. That's not the end. And it gives us perspective and awakens us to a life of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that celebration is a discipline. That... Um, there's lots of other disciplines, fasting and solitude and study and uh, rest we've talked about and serving. Lots of different things. 
I'm glad celebration is in there. That the life you called us to live is not a life of duty and servitude, that you called us your friends. And you told us that as our hope would be in you, that you would give us joy by your spirit. And so, Lord, I lift up everyone who's here this morning who's wrestling with this idea. Maybe people who are feeling a lot of joy, they're experiencing a lot of joy, and some people who are experiencing a lot of difficulty and challenge for whom to walk into celebration would be an act of discipline. And I thank you that you empower us and enable us to follow you. And that as we follow you, you fill our hearts with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these things. We're so grateful for your life in us. We love you. Amen.